It's an honor to share today's episode with you, Smarties. For the first time on the podcast, we are being joined by someone with whom we went to graduate school. Today, Ezra Werb joins us to chat about his book, Teach for Attention, a tool belt of strategies for engaging students with attention challenges. We are so excited to welcome Ezra as part of our author series on the podcast. If you are new here and you're interested in hearing more of the authors that we've had on the podcast, we'll include those links in the show notes. Ezra's book is readable, fun, funny, and so easy to understand. It's meant for the everyday teacher or parent who is looking for simple strategies to enhance their lives. We could not recommend this book more. In this episode, you'll hear us mention that we may be getting a code for our audience, and we're proud to let you know that we have that code for you here. The code is WERB, W-E-R-B, the website to use the code, is listed in the show notes. And if you go there, you get 25% off his book. Be sure to listen to the end to hear some of our key takeaways. Here we go, Smarties. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 75 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap, And I'm Stephanie Pitts. Today, we are thrilled to welcome our friend Ezra Werb, who is a fellow educational therapist that Steph and I met in our graduate school program. Yay. And Ezra has written a beautiful book called Teach for Attention, a tool belt of strategies for engaging students with attention challenges. Welcome, Ezra. Hey, thank you for having me on. This is so much fun. Yeah, good to see you. You too. When was the last time we all saw each other? It's been a while. A couple of years, maybe. A couple of years, yeah. <laughs> it might be a couple of years, but we've been following what you've been doing on social. And we were so proud to see that you had written this wonderful book. Yes. And when we started the author series, it was like Ezra was at the top of uh-huh. that list. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm honored to be on and I'm really proud of you guys for doing what you're doing. Thank, Thank you, you for saying that. So we all met... In our program, and is there anything we want to say about that? God, what year was that? I have lost track of years. We graduated <laughs> yeah. in 2015. Okay. Did we start 2014? Hold on. Did we really graduate in 2015? Yes. That sounds so right. I think we started in 2013. That could be right, too. I did a year before I kind of met y'all, right? I think you did, yeah. I got yep. it. Stuff was done in December of 2015. Okay. Ezra, you and I... Walked at graduation yeah. in May of 2016, but really completed the program at the end of that year. Right. I guess that's probably correct. Time flies. Good times. Time <laughs> has flown. I can't believe it was that long ago. So if you're listening to this later, we're recording this in September of 2019. So it has been a long time. Yeah. So Ezra, bring us up to date. You have moved. You've left LA. Yes. Tell us like... Kind of what you were doing, what brought you to writing this book, and then give us the update. Yeah, so this is when I was still in LA. This is now probably a couple of years ago that I was already a working educational therapist. So this is post our program. And no matter what student walked through my door, no matter what classrooms I was in, I just kind of have one of those light bulb type of moments where it's like there's so much attention issue in all of these students that we see. And I think teachers tend to think of, and and everybody, society tends to think of, well, these kids have ADHD and these kids don't. 
But there's just so many executive functions that are involved in our kind of attentional construct. And I was just seeing that no matter if a student was on the spectrum or if a student had dyslexia or whatever they had, there was always an attentional component to it. And uh, I think what I kind of started to understand was it was the thing that I always had the hardest time with was understanding what exactly ADHD is and how it affects students. And I think teachers have the most difficult time. I think back now, I started out in the field working one-on-one with kids on the spectrum. So I was doing push-in support, one-on-one support with kids on the spectrum and kids with attention challenges. But now thinking back even to those years when I was in classrooms and just kind of observing teachers and the most difficult kids were ones that I now understand it was mostly an attentional thing. It was executive functions that have to do with attention. And I say this in the the introduction, you know, things like dyslexia or a language issue or even dyscalculia, like they're kind of set things to do for those students. Like for reading, you know, there's decoding and there's fluency, right? Even for spectrum, I think most teachers understand the sort of social emotional components. ADHD doesn't have like a prescribed set thing, you know, Uh, we can talk more about this, but there are kind of the standard set of accommodations, right? Like give extra time, breaks, preferred seating. Yeah, sitting at the front, yeah. Yeah, verbal praise. There's already kind of a a set menu that I think many teachers know at this point. I mean, if they don't, they're kind of learning them now. But I wanted to share all the different things that I had done with all my students because for every student, you're kind of always making it up as you go. It depends on the student. And there are so many things that I've tried, some failed, some most succeeded, I hope. Um, And I wanted to kind of put all of my experiences in a book. Um, I am a writer by nature, and I love talking about students with, with colleagues and things like that. So I wanted to write a book that felt like I was just sharing all of my experiences, like we're in a teacher's room, and we're just kind of kicking around stories, and hey, this is what I tried, and this is what worked. And certainly there is some science and theory behind it, but a lot of it is just kind of, these are the stuff, this is how I improv this, this is what I did. We can get more into the actual book process if you'd like, maybe a little bit, but yeah, that's where it was coming from. This is like two years ago, I had the idea and then I started going to publishers and the rest is history. It's interesting. And Steph, tell me what you think about the timing of all this, because we all graduated from the program around the same time and around the same time. Ezra, you were conceptualizing this book and we were conceptualizing this podcast. Uh I remember you both talking about things that you wanted to do in a podcast. And I think, yeah, I think I had shared that I had kind of an idea of this. I didn't quite know what to do with it at that point, maybe. But yeah, these things have been percolating. (laughs) Yeah. We're pretty clear on the mission of this podcast is to expand awareness about educational therapy because not everybody has access, whether geographically or financially, to ed therapists, and then there's not enough of us. So we only have so many hours that we can see clients. And so we can't serve everybody one-on-one. So this podcast kind of helps with that. And then the other thing is that because we can't serve everybody, we hope that we provide skills and strategies in this podcast, which we do for free, that can reach a broader audience. And it seems like that's a similar mission with this book also. Totally. Yeah. You know, I wanted to write a book that didn't seem clinical, uh, that didn't seem intimidating for a teacher to read. So I conceived it along with the publisher, you know, just designing it and 
structuring it in a way that, again, it feels like a fun, easy read that a teacher could pick this up. Any teacher who has kids with attention challenges, which is every teacher in every classroom yes. <laughs> has this issue, can just pick this up and just get some ideas, um, get some strategies, um, hear some anecdotes about my students that I've encountered, and maybe you can relate with your students, or maybe yours are a little different, but here's what I did, here's what you can do, just really user-friendly type of stuff. These students... They need help and teachers need help. Yeah. In teaching programs, they haven't yet, that I've seen, instituted like, okay, every teacher needs to take a class in ADHD. Mm -hmm. They did it with autism. Yeah. At least in LA. I don't know if that was for all of California, but I think pretty much nationwide, for the most part, I think teachers kind of have to take a course in autism at this point, Mm -hmm. any teaching program. Yeah. Um, And I think that's probably coming with ADHD. And I was thinking back to getting my master's because I got it before in the early 2000s. And there was nothing. Steph, you got your master's in the early 2000s? Yeah. Okay. I'm older than you. And I was thinking, you know, we didn't have any of this. And I was in the classroom before I decided to go to educational therapy. But there was no training whatsoever. And I was thinking while I was looking at this book, and I was reading it last night, and I was thinking, hmm, this is breaking down the basics of educational therapy for teachers. Yep. There's that too. Yeah. Thank you for kind of noticing that. (laughs) It is. This is like the fundamental, like abridged version of what we do, but relates to them in the classroom. And I was thinking, wow, if teachers actually read this, they would get a better sense on how to reach the kids and teach them in a way that makes a little bit more sense. So I applaud you for that. We've been directing this conversation really towards, and maybe you really did write it with teachers in mind. I think this is a book that parents of students who have attentional issues should also be taking a look at because sometimes the teachers don't know and you can advocate for your kid with a lot of these ideas that Ezra offers up in the book. So it's not just for teachers. For sure. You're not using jargon. You're not using like hyperclinical language. Yeah. You're absolutely right when you're saying this is super approachable. The table of contents provides a roadmap for the book, but you absolutely don't have to read it in order, which I love in a book like this, that I can just go to the section I want to go to about the particular question I have at that moment. So it's not just for teachers. I appreciate that. And uh, I agree. Like parents need to know, they need to know strategies to pitch to teachers sometimes. They can't rely 100% that teachers are going to know exactly what their student needs, uh, the child needs. And parents know their kids. Yeah, right. So I've often said to parents, like, these are the things that you should go in next year and talk to your teacher about. Mm -hmm. Yes. And additionally, I think we have to remember that parents are teaching their kids Mm -hmm. all the time, right? You don't realize it, but you are. And some of these strategies are going to help you keep your sanity. Yeah, for Uh sure. Yeah. Thank you again. (laughs) Honestly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Parents experience a lot of the similar things the teachers do with a child. (laughs) Or they experience a lot of the similar things with their child. Yes. Yes. We always talk about it on the podcast, about the similarities between the primary parent and the student and what happens when the primary parent is seeing a deficit that their partner has. Mm -hmm. And the student, there's a lot of really complicated dynamics that go along with a lot of the things that we talk about on the podcast. But one thing that I'll also add is in our program, and I remember bringing this up after we graduated, 
we had no class on attention and we had no class on executive functioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like special ed credential program, like it was a lot of dyslexia, a lot of language processing, you know, there, but like there wasn't a lot of attention executive function. I think that's got to be shifting right now. There has to be a trend going yeah. on because at the time when I brought it up, our program administrator, yes, we're aware it's in discussions. We're talking about it because there is absolutely nothing that we deal with that attention doesn't come into play. Mm -hmm. There just isn't. Same with executive functioning. It all comes into play with everything that we're doing. So it's nice that we created this podcast to offer up more resources, but that you created the book too to offer up more resources. It's all part of the same network of the way our, our minds and brains work and to give teachers at least a base understanding of these things and to make them a little more conscious and aware of them. Even though, you know, my book wasn't supposed to be a big executive function, you know, explanation mm -hmm. book. But I think like we're saying in programs, I have to think that we're moving towards that. I think teachers have, yeah. need to start understanding these sorts of things. I'd love to get more into the book a little bit. And I shared this story with you before we recorded. We spent a little time catching up because we hadn't all seen each other in a while. <laughs> so we had some catching up to do. But in preparation for this episode, you know, we both have your book and all that. And I decided yesterday that one of my sessions was going to become about kind of deciphering the book. You know, we can work on skimming with this and then also it was a student who had had a very emotional had taken the diagnosis of adhd and attentive so personally and prior to the diagnosis which it wasn't behavioral in the classroom but certain things were happening where she was writing really concerning notes to herself on her math test and all these things and one of the big reasons that i started working with her was because of this like negative self-talk and the poor self-image that she was having as a result of challenge mm -hmm. she was only in third grade at the time so it was very concerning to everybody and in doing this kind of exercise with let's look at the book, let's look at the suggestions that Ezra has. And she thought it was so cool that I knew the author. <laughs> and I was like, let's talk about which ones we've done and what has worked and what didn't work. Cause not every strategy is going to work for every kid. But I wanted to share with you that kind of like an unintended consequence of me doing this with her yesterday was she felt very normalized in the process of kind of looking at, your experiences with other people. And I mean, I had said all along that she wasn't that special for what I work with, right? Like this was very normal, but it felt very abnormal to her. So like she's in sixth grade now. And so she had to kind of take a moment was when you wrote on page 37, and I'll just kind of read the paragraph. Students with attention difficulties experience a lot of failure in school. With every unfinished assignment and failed quiz or test, they are further confronted with their own inadequacies. Many of the students with ADHD who I've known vocalize their lack of confidence, saying things like, I'm just stupid or I can't do it. And seeing that on the page and seeing that, you know, someone she didn't know had had similar experiences as her really further normalized her own academic experience and journey. And she's a long way from that at this point, but it was really kind of this full circle moment. So thank you for offering that up to us. That's great. Thank you for sharing that story. That warms my heart. I mean, it really does that a student would hear, you know, other stories of students and teachers and feel less alone. That's, yeah. I mean, what an important thing, again, for any kid, 
to feel less alone in any way, but certainly kids who are, who are not doing well in school and they're angry at themselves to realize that there are other kids that are experiencing that same thing. That's really wonderful to hear that they're finding some sort of comfort in that. I would love for you to share a little bit more. You have a whole chapter where you talk about building confidence and it's a second chapter of your book, which I loved the way you ordered this. It's very intentional which chapter was where. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit more about kind of building confidence? I'm glad that you brought that up. So, And it's funny that you bring up the chapters because that was something my editor and I actually had discussions about. We knew that those were going to be one and two. I wanted interest first, yeah. uh, which I can talk to you about after. But yeah, I think confidence is the foundation of everything. That Everything that, that we were talking about with executive functions, that this is something that teachers will soon start learning more about having more understanding of. I almost say double when it comes to anxiety and confidence. It is such a huge component of whether these kids succeed or not. And I think it's something that, again, teachers aren't taught to kind of look out for these things and consider these things. I don't think, unless I'm wrong about teaching programs and now they're kind of getting more into that. But it is so important that kids feel comfortable walking into a classroom and feel like they are capable in, su- in one way or another. But, you know, so many of our students that we see, they walk into classrooms feeling like, oh my God. They've I'm, given up. I've given up. Yeah, this is way beyond that. That's sort, Right. That sort of lost feeling. You know, one of the things I talk about in my book is like, when you have significant inattention, there are those moments, and I share personal stories about this, where those moments when you come to... And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I just missed the last 10 minutes. Yeah. Imagine the amount of anxiety that provokes in a kid where they've just missed 10 minutes and all of a sudden they're about to do a sheet or read something and they're like, I don't even know what's going you know, I never want to sound like I'm knocking. Teachers have an incredibly difficult task in teaching 20 to 30 kids in a classroom. They have so many things that they have to take care of. And so, I mean, 20 to 30 kids, it's so many students. Mm-hmm. Not to even get into, you know, the stress of testing and all that mm-hmm. stuff. We all understand what's going on with that. But to take a moment and think about that there are kids walking into your classroom in the morning that just feel like, I don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. And not in a typical kid way. Like they, they're really frightened about what could happen during the day. Uh, you know, we have to get these kids walking into a classroom feeling like they can do it. Certainly as therapists, we can help facilitate that and make that happen. But ultimately, teachers have to be fully, you know, on board with that mission as well. So, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about med therapy, and I mention it in the book, there's a quote by Fixman and Adelisi, who are two of like the four people in the field. And it says like, the goal of educational therapy is to reduce fears and build confidence through incremental successes. And I remember seeing that uh, in class when we read that. And it was like, yes, Yes. (laughs) incremental success. Mm -hmm. They don't have to get from the starting line to the finish line in five seconds. It's going to take time. So parents hear that. Parents who are listening to the podcast (laughs) hear what Ezra just said. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Parents and teachers, I mean, and administrators, everybody needs to be on board with if they're barely squeezing out a sentence at this point and your classroom is up to five paragraphs, you can't set the expectation that they're going to write five tomorrow. Yep. It's just going to create it. That's just a specific example I like giving. But you're going to have to work the student up to that and you can make them feel good along the way. That's the beauty. It's almost like an opportunity to start building up confidence and uh, you do it step by step. I'm sure you guys as a therapist, that's what you do and that's what you've seen is 
you do it step by step. We often talk about on the podcast that success will breed success for our students, Mm -hmm. but getting that first win can take a while. Yeah. Mm And like that can be a really slow burn initially, but then the second wind doesn't take as long. Then it starts to have this kind of snowball. I've seen it roll like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it roll where that initial blast is tough, but once it starts rolling and the kid gets confident and each skill builds on the previous. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think anxiety and confidence is a huge component. And that is why I did put it behind interest, but uh, yeah, we wanted those chapters to be upfront because confidence really it, it permeates the entire book. I'm constantly referring to confidence and anxiety. So go ahead and explain why you wanted interests to be the first chapter. You know, confidence is certainly major, but every time I get a student now, I get a client, the first thing I want to know, I mean, after I kind of talk to the parents about the profile and what they've found, um, as far as if he or she has had a, you know, a report written, um, if they've done testing, all that stuff, is I, I want to know what the student is into mm-hmm. for two reasons. One. The amount of trust and respect that you earn from a student in 10 minutes, if you just start talking to them about Pokemon or their thing, whatever their thing is, I see the change in students' faces. You know, you've probably experienced this when a student comes to you for the first time, and certainly when they meet a classroom teacher, their face is, is hesitant, there's stress on it, you know, who doesn't understand that kind of stress, you know. And the minute you bring up whatever they're into and they start talking about it, their whole demeanor changes, their body language changes. And it's like they immediately recognize that you care enough about them to indulge them or to ask about that. And I think that's a really important place to start. It can be incredibly effective in building a rapport with a student and getting them to loosen up and feel like you see them more than just uh, someone who they're going to have to drill information and skills into. It's like, oh, you care about what I'm into. Um, And when you take it a step further, which is what the whole chapter is about, where you kind of drop their interests into lessons and into projects and things like that, the engagement is, it's such a great parallel between using their interests and seeing them engaged. So, I mean, I could talk on and on and on about this, but I, <laughs> I think it's, it's incredibly effective and it builds rapport. Mm-hmm. Those are, I put it first because I think if you're a teacher starting the beginning of the year, get to know your students, give out an interest survey. You know, um, this could almost be a base by which you get to know all your students, but certainly those that, that we know are going to come into your class feeling anxious and feeling like they cannot do what you're going to set out for them. Yeah. And I think I want to also add that sharing the vulnerability of a little bit about yourself, which I know that we do as clinicians too, talking about what you like too, they're often very interested. And you create that rapport. You're not this adult that if I ever see a student in the grocery store, they're not like, whoa, she's a real person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I remember see, doing that when I was a teacher and I would come across, I remember I came across a student in the Blockbuster, this is aging me, in Blockbuster video <laughs> and the kid saw me and like ran away. And the next day, oh, what did you rent? You know, it was just It was one of those things where you forget to be in the mind of a kid and how it's so confusing. And the more that you guys can share together, the better. First of all, 
students seeing you out out of your environment is the it's one of the funniest the experiences as a yeah. teacher yeah yeah <laughs> and then their reactions when you see them the next day uh-huh like, i once was in a classroom when i was a one-on-one and i remember a teacher started off the year day one and he created a powerpoint and he shared some very like personal things along with just like his interests and things he's into and pictures of him. And it was, I had never seen a teacher do that before. It was an incredible way to start a year was for him to share some personal things about himself, but also like his interests and things that were fun about him and all that. Like what a great way to just connect to your students and for them to see you as more than just the person that they need to please. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we're beyond (laughs) <laughs> those years back when I was a kid were like, you weren't supposed to be like really friendly with your teacher. That doesn't, right, you know, right. they were your teacher. Uh, you didn't cross those kind. But now I think, you know, everyone's kind of on board with, yes, you can get more personal with them and share. And I think teachers should do that and need to do that and, and get the same back from their, from their students. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't confirm it, when I have a client who friends me on my personal Instagram, and like, oh, you looked me up. And you want to be my personal friend on Instagram. You want to know what's going on with me. I don't say yes, but like, it's always a win to me that, you know, they took that time and effort to go and find me because they just want to see what's up with Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) The truth is, I'll probably tell them in session anyway. So I have an 11th grader who I've seen for a couple of years. So I'll be graduating out. Every time she walks in, she was not a kid who liked reading. Like, that was a big struggle. And through the introduction of audiobooks and finding authors that she likes, now she comes into session and offers up a book recommendation. And I'm like, cool, I have this book for you. I love the rapport that we get to have with our clients. It's very different than the rapport that we had when we were in the classroom. Oh, for sure. That's great. And what you know, I mentioned in the book, in the confidence chapter, that students, they always love the person in the after school program, the the coach. They always yes. love coach so-and-so. Yes. Often they're PE teachers or they're after school. Because I was an after school, you know, counselor for years. And uh, why is that? Well, yeah, coaches are encouraging, you know, they give high fives. Yeah. The idea is that they're on your team. You're on the same team with your coach, right? If teachers can get a little bit of that vibe going, that you and the student feel like you're on the same team and you're, you know, encouraging in the right ways, I think that that can go a long way in breaking down some of that anxiety that a student feels walking in. Yeah, I have a kid that calls me his homework coach. Yeah. And that's what he tells his teacher, that he went to the homework coach. So when he puts in his reading log, that's what he writes for that day homework coach. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes kids will be really adverse to the fact that there's therapy in our title. Mm-hmm. And so I just say learning coach. I don't think coach is the worst alternative to saying educational therapist. Absolutely you know, like not. It, it's a great kind of casual way to get kids and parents to understand yeah. you know, the nature of the interactions you're going to have with the student. You're on the same team. Yeah, yeah. that's so true. I feel like that's going to be the name of your episode, Ezra. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. This is what happens. This is how we write titles. I'm like, oh, he just said it. Let me write it down. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) I love that you put the big takeaways at Mm -hmm. the end of the chapters just so that like 
for those people that need to just skim and just take the the last little bit going. But I wanted to know sort of what was the most challenging part of doing this book or chapter that you wrote? Mm, good question. Oh, good question. Hmm. One of the things that I grappled with was uh, I always had this voice in the back of my head saying, don't you think teachers already know that? And I trained my other voice, and I think my editor helped with this, to say, no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some might, some might, and and great if you do. And if you do, and you're hearing this for a second time, hopefully it just confirms what you're doing. Yeah, this coming from an ed therapist or whatever, that's great. And, and again, this is not like a knock on teachers. Teachers have a lot on their plates. They have a lot of things they need to learn how to do on yeah. any given day. There's so, but I think a lot of the things I include in the book will be fresh and novel for, for teachers um, and not overwhelming at all. No, not this overwhelming is, This at is all. all I say, you know, these are like chocolate chips you sprinkle into your cereal. At least yeah. I do that. <laughs> <laughs> um it's just little little changes, just little adjustments, little things you can do just to to lower anxiety, raise confidence, and get kids engaged. These aren't big changes we're talking about. So I eventually learned to quiet that voice. And you know, those voices that say, Well, this is so simple, you don't even need to, you don't need to include that, just cut that out. I stopped that. I learned to kind of argue against that voice and say, No, you know. Why not? Teachers can benefit. Yeah, why not? It's also good to hear it again. Sometimes we all need to hear something several times before it really sinks in, right? Yeah, hopefully I'm saying something in a certain way that gets to a specific teacher. Right. I have two thoughts on that. The first is Steph will remind me that sometimes I'll coach a family to do one thing and they don't do it. And then I loop back with the family. We're no longer working together. And somebody else has suggested the exact same thing. And they give credit for that idea to the other person. That's always difficult, but you know, that's my ego. It is. And the second thing that I'll say is that we have that about the podcast. 100%. And we certainly had that about the podcast before we launched it. And I don't think it's why it took us so long to launch it, but it's very vulnerable to put your thoughts out there. It's just, it is. It's vulnerable. We felt like, you know, we know that other educational therapists listen to this podcast and we want to provide meaningful content to them. And we don't want to, you know, not guide anybody in the right direction. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of pressure. For sure. I echo all those sentiments. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you're putting something down in writing or audio and as a teacher, you're like, this is what I love to do. This is what I feel like I do really well. And I have an understanding of these things that maybe some teachers don't, and I can share those things, but yeah, it's about being creative is, is vulnerable. And that's great segue. A lot of our students experience that too. Like if they have a writing task, Mm -hmm. their hesitance to start, I'm sure we've all seen this is often a hesitance with no, that's not going to be well received either by the teacher or by other students, or maybe even themselves, maybe they're being self-critical, but that, that self-critical voice is often at play with with our students. Yeah, and that's oftentimes what we talk about with when teachers want the kids to start with a thesis and the thesis is never good enough. And instead of just starting with body paragraphs and going from there, it's the same thing. Figure out what you think as you write. Yeah, it's super important to, to take that into consideration. It's attention and it's executive functioning all the time. But we need all of those things in every single thing we do every day. And I think that 
people who are naturally really good at it, teachers in particular, a lot of teachers are naturally good at it and forget that not every kid or every person is naturally good at it and not everyone's good at every single part of it. So I think that using this as a parent or a teacher to help with your own deficits in some ways, I think is also important. Yeah. And that was uh, a, a byproduct of, of also what I wanted to do. And it's, you know, I just did a live webinar and I loved sharing personal stories of myself, of my own executive functioning, mm-hmm. <clears throat> both in the webinar and in the book, because this whole process of writing the book and learning how to engage these students, it makes you question your own executive function. Um, not only when I was a kid thinking back to, oh, when I was in third grade, I was reading, but I wasn't understanding what I was reading. Why was mm-hmm. I did a lot of that in grad school. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was an English and American literature major and I can't absorb Shakespeare. Yeah. When I go to a Shakespeare show, I just can't hang with it. Yeah. Uh, is it a language issue or is it an attention issue? Um, you know, whatever the cause, I can empathize with the sort of executive functions that that are at play with sitting in a Shakespeare show and trying to follow it. Or, you know, it could be any sort of activity. I mean, doing your taxes, whatever, whatever, you know. Oh my gosh, I have to get up every 10 minutes when I'm writing something. Yeah. I have to walk around and go grab something to eat or something. Oh, how many of our kids experience that constantly in the classroom? Yeah, diagnosed or not. Right. I've noticed that when I share an EF failure, if I've had an EF failure throughout the day, every single one of my clients is going to know about it. They eat that up. <laughs> they love it. <laughs> They're, you know, they, they think it's, well, Rachel, and then they start coaching me. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know you're right. You know? <laughs> no, it's awesome. It's, that's great. Teachers should learn to be vulnerable like that. Yeah. I love, I always loved when I was in a classroom, you know, working, you know, in the back with a student and the teacher up front would like admit some kind of gaffe yeah. or a mistake or something. It's like the kids, you feel the tension in the room just go, huh, when a teacher does that. It's the same when you're at a play and somebody forgets their lines and they improv yes. it and it's funny and we're all in it together and it's the collective effervescence. It's a collective group mentality that only can emerge in that space at that one time with that group of people. It's awesome when those moments happen, even the one-on-one moments that we have, like those magic moments. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing the, the kind of influence that can have over our relationship, whether it's a teacher in a, cl- in a whole class or just a one-on-one scenario. That's a reminder to how powerful we are in their journey and how powerful the teacher is mm-hmm. in their journey. I can't tell you how often like I hear about things that happened with one teacher one time. 10 years ago. And believe me, I remember the one thing that happened, but I also remember a lot of the amazing things that happened too. So it's just, we're very powerful in the narrative of kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we all have those, I think, uh, those memories of, I can tell you right now who those teachers are. Like, I remember that moment. Oh yeah, for sure. I know which moment you're talking about and I know which teacher was, was on the other end. Yo, don't I know it. I all share (laughs) mine. I was in sixth grade. I passed a note to a friend and the note literally said, this is so boring. And the teacher walked over. It happened in slow motion, you guys. And I remember his name, but I'll protect him because later on we worked it through years later. I don't even think he remembered it. And he walked over, took the note off my friend's desk, opened it up and said to the class, well, we're going to stop what we're doing because Rachel thinks this is boring. 
And I sat the rest of the period. I was in a school where there were 90 minute periods and sat in my desk crying the rest of the period. Like I was just sitting there crying. By the way, Ezra, it was boring. Well, I, I have no doubt. <laughs> yeah. I have no doubt. I stand by it. <laughs> so on the on the flip side of that, I once had a note confiscated in which I drew a caricature of the teacher. Oh. No. oh. A highly oh. embarrassing one. <laughs> oh. What grade were you in? Just so we can know the seventh. Oh. You know, like the be... worst middle yeah. school boy, <laughs> just ruthless. No thought of the teacher, you know. Oh. And we were all doing it, but like I got caught. He took the note and put it on his desk and it sat there the entire class. Oh my God. And at the end of class, I go up to him and I said, I really, really wish you for not to open that. I am really sorry, but I really don't want you to open that note. And he looked at me and he said, take the note. I won't open it. Oh. And, and, it, and isn't that amazing as a selfish, self-absorbed seventh grader to have a teacher show that sort of like, Compassion. compassion in that moment for yeah. me yeah because I mean, it was yeah. enough of a punishment it was enough sure. of a punishment to just point was taken the... the point was taken yeah he got the note the follow-up with mine was i obviously came home and cried the rest of the day my mom had to call him she came into school with me i apologized i was mortified because that's really isn't who i adored teachers and my mom is a teacher so it was like oh it was so shameful but uh, i yeah, i did say i I did say it was boring. He could have stepped it up on his end is all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm sure you gave him food for thought. Not in sixth grade, but I later, I was at that school for seven years. And then I was on the newspaper my senior year and I had to go interview him about kind of the history of the school. And I was so nervous. And I swear, because this was like a, this was a life moment for me, Right. Don't put stuff in writing. It's still a lesson, like in text message. Don't put stuff in text. It gets missed. It was very clear that I was saying it was boring. There was no other way to interpret it. But <laughs> but I went and I interviewed him and he couldn't have been lovelier. And I didn't bring it up. He didn't bring it up. But I guarantee you, he went home that day and didn't think about it. And uh-huh. it's 20 yeah, years I'm later. Sure. And I'm yeah. And yeah. you still remember that, too. Steph, did you do anything with the note? <laughs> Oh, no, you okay. No. You were that student. Well, but no, I also went to a very small school and there would only be 10 kids in my class and Oh, uh, hard to pass a note with 10 kids in the class. Yeah. It's very hard to pass a note. <laughs> I mean, I would do stuff, but not pass notes. Like you, that's too easy to get caught. <laughs> it was too, way too easy at my school. So, there were kids that did it and they got caught. Do you guys think that like kids nowadays are passing notes or are they just texting? They're just texting. In class, though? I mean, teachers are. Oh, for sure. And some of them are. They're not allowing They're it. not allowing yeah, it. But they're doing the, like, under the they table. They just do it. They're yeah. Snapchatting in class. Oh, something's lost in translation. Because I know there's somewhere that I have, like, a box of all the notes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so. Well, this took a direction. <laughs> yeah. No, no passing is if kids are not doing it these days i i feel bad for them that they've missed out on that there was something and you learned how to fold it in a cute way you know like (laughs) you guys you don't google it you search it up (laughs) is there anything we want to share about the book is there anything we haven't kind of touched on i mean there's so much in it but is there anything else you want to make sure Mm -hmm. 
There's beautiful pictures. I could not be more obsessed with your color coding for math. If you look at my Instagram, <laughs> it's all over my Instagram. We could not recommend this book more. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I had a blast writing it. It was fun to, you know, I've been on all sides of the teaching equation. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been up front in a big classroom teaching. I've been a resource teacher. Uh, so I've done pull out and push and support. I've been a one-on-one. I've been on every end of the IEP table. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I've even had friends mm-hmm. who have kids that have IEPs. Mm-hmm. I've never went to a meeting with them, but I have talked with them about it. Totally. So I see it all from all angles. And I think I've written a book that, again, it's not an overwhelming read. These aren't like, you're doing this wrong, do this. These are just slight adjustments that teachers can make. It takes one minute to prep. Sometimes it makes it takes no time to prep. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the biggest you know research you would have to do is like a two minute Wikipedia search about uh, a student's favorite TV show. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of mm-hmm. like these are very simple things. But I think both in just flipping through the book and picking out individual little suggestions, little strategies, and the book as a whole, I hope it's a fun read. I hope teachers kind of get a kick out of hearing my experiences and my own personal stories both with my students and with myself. I give a lot of anecdotes in the book of students. So I paint pictures of the, of the kids. Um, I tell you what their strengths are and what they're uh, weaker in. And you know, usually the story includes laughter. Yeah, I'm constantly laughing and smiling with, with students, even in stressful times. We seem to always find something to laugh about. Yeah. And uh, you know, I hope the book has that vibe to it. Oftentimes, when we think about kids with ADHD, the word management is kind of mm-hmm. in the title of the book, mm-hmm. or it's what we're talking about. How do we manage the class with students like this? How do we manage that student? And uh, you know, the thesis of the book is if we engage them first, if we make them feel comfortable and confident, you won't need to manage as much. Mm. This is a positive spin on all this. You know, these kids, these kids can be challenging, um, but they can be really fun and contribute so much to your classroom um, with their creativity. Every kid I've worked with, they are, they have a high intelligence um, in one way or another. Um, And often they're witty. And I think if we get bogged down with, oh, that kid's talking out, I have to manage, you know, or the kid is putting his hands on someone and it's, it just creates stress and anxiety. I hope through the book that teachers see this um, students in a more positive light, for lack of a better way to say it, that they have a lot to contribute and that there's just simple things we can do to ease the tension in the classroom and ease the tension for these students to have those incremental successes we were talking about at the beginning. So proud of you, my I friend. <laughs> yes, so proud. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on with us. We're hoping to get mm-hmm. some sort of code. So our audience, we'll, we'll work on it, but be sure to listen to the end of this episode because we'll have an update for you yeah. on that then. And Ezra, if people want to get in touch with you, how could they get in touch yes, with you? Yes, so I have a website, teachforattention.com. That was available. I couldn't believe it. And you can email me at ezra at teachforattention.com. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. And the book, yeah, I'll get you the codes. But um, my publisher is Free Spirit Publishing, who I want to give a shout out to them. They're awesome. They were just have been awesome to work with. They offer so many different books, every topic you can imagine in education. And uh, they're all just really, really wonderful books. So Free Spirit Publishing, check them out. And it's also available on Amazon. Mm, It is. But hang out because hopefully we'll have a link for our audience 
in the after chat. So Ezra, thank you so much. Our friend. Yes, thank you. Fellow educational therapist and author. Thank you both. I really appreciate it. This was fun. It was great to see you. You as well. Smarties, we hope you enjoyed listening to Ezra talk about his book. And I think Rachel and I both share the sentiment and how proud we are that we got to interview him on the podcast and he was part of our cohort, which just feels amazing. There were only like maybe 15 to 18 people who we Mm -hmm. went to graduate school with. So it was a special kind of treat for us to be able to give Ezra our platform yeah of this podcast and we're so aligned philosophically with everything that he shares in his book yeah and so it was a joy to be able to do this it really was and his philosophy about being on the same team with everybody right being on the same team with the kid being on the same team with the parents being on the same team with the teachers And it doesn't matter what role you play in that equation, but just being on the same team as everybody else is so important. And we've said this on the podcast before. Absolutely. Right? So I think it's great, you know, as a small reminder to be on the same team. And the other thing that he was talking about, small changes. And we say this all the time, right? We say one thing at a time, that small changes add up to big changes, And that's so important because those students feel the small changes, as do you as a parent or a teacher. And we just have to get that momentum going. It's funny because I feel like this is something we talk about off-air stuff, about what we offer for each other when we're feeling like the growth is not fast enough for a client. Mm -hmm. We talk about this with our team, too, that sometimes our team is looking at that big goal And we get to remind them that, no, you got to focus on the small because you are having a tremendous impact. And you and I remind each other of that. For sure. When we wish there was more progress happening. Yeah, it's managing expectations of everything. And celebrating when we do well. For sure. Giving ourselves credit and our learners credit. Yeah. The other thing I think that is so important is really fostering that deep connection with the team, with your students, with the teacher, with, with the, the parents. parents. Yeah, whomever. And the deeper the connection you have, the more willing a student is to try. Because they want to succeed, just like we always say. They inherently want to please. So when they're doing it for you as the educator or parent, and then they see a success, then they start to believe in themselves. And I think that's so important. I hope Ezra had fun. I had fun sharing my embarrassing story. If you knew me in middle school and you want to know which teacher it was, I will tell you. (laughs) (laughs) But I hope those stories serve as a reminder for the adults in the lives of our learners of how powerful we are in their narrative. Mm -hmm. And so it was our pleasure to have Ezra on the podcast once again. We highly encourage you to get this book, even if you feel like it's going to be reminders. There are reminders that we all need to read and hear and listen to again. Mm -hmm. So you get 25% off. The code is WERB, W-E-R-B. That's Ezra's last name. And the link to get the book is listed in the show notes. 
So however you listen to the podcast, scroll down to the show notes or scroll to the left of the show notes or whatever, <laughs> whatever medium through which you're listening to the podcast to find that link and take advantage of the 25% he's offered to our Smarties audience. Thanks for joining us, Smarties. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. 